You're listening to Redeeming Grace Audio. For more resources or messages, check out redeeminggracecc.com. Then you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I'm from Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Easter Sunday, much like our passage of scripture today, begins with the word, if. If, in fact, there is a perfect and holy God, and if he created this world by the power of his word, and if he created humanity in his own image, but then if those people sinned against that God, marring and distorting the image and bringing sinfulness and wickedness into God's good and perfect and holy world. But then if he still loved the world anyway and loved those people anyway, that he chose to send his one and only son into the world. And if that one and only son in Jesus Christ, God with us, lived a perfect life. And if he offered himself as a sacrifice on a criminal's cross, and if he was raised by the power of God to new life for the forgiveness of the sins of those people, well, then that demands a response. And Paul teaches us that Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And that's why we're here and why we're worshiping right now. We're told through eyewitness accounts of the disciples of Jesus, of men and women who had given their lives, clinging to that truth that not only did they believe that Christ had been raised from the dead, but they had witnessed Jesus after his resurrection, heard him teach, walked with him, touched his hands and his feet, and they were willing to die holding on to that truth. We can know with certainty that Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And so when all of those ifs are answered with a resounding yes, it means that the first thing that we need to approach here this morning is that any person who has not put their faith and their hope in Jesus, may the message of Easter pierce through your hearts. May you know that God did create our world for his pleasure. He created us for a relationship with him. But all of our sin, those sins that we confessed earlier in our service today, those sins separate us away from God. And even though there was nothing we could do as we sang that we couldn't reach God on our own, that he made a way through Jesus, that he loved the world, that he loved me, that he loved you so much that he gave his one and only son And Jesus, who is Emmanuel, who is God with us, suffered and died on our behalf, was buried in a tomb for three days. But on the third day, he rose again. 
as a full display of the power of God, not only over sin, but over death itself. And as he raised from the dead, he made a promise that anyone who believes in him will not only be saved from our sins, will not only be forgiven of our sins, but will receive everlasting life. Will be given a future hope and an inheritance that was made just for Christ Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and your hope in Jesus, I don't want to encourage you to hear the truth of the gospel, to believe in Christ Jesus, to repent, to turn away from those sins that have separated you from him and trust in Christ. What better day than Easter Sunday to begin following after Jesus? And if you've never put your faith and hope in Christ before, I want to encourage you, don't leave here today without talking with me or any member of our church about what it means to begin that life following after Jesus and what it means to be saved, not by works, not by what you do, because he's not waiting on you to clean yourself up, but to be saved by the love and mercy and kindness of Jesus. But then, of course, there's another if that goes along with Easter Sunday. What if this is already true for you? What if you've already put your faith and your hope in Christ Jesus? What if you know the power of the resurrection? What if Jesus has saved you from your sin and your weakness and your brokenness? What if you are a follower of Jesus? What impact does Easter have on the daily lives of the followers of the resurrected king is it just a day that we mark our calendar where maybe you dress a little bit nicer i mean like i tucked my shirt in today guys it's easter is it just a celebration that we have remembering something that happened a long time ago or even remembering the moment when christ saved us each individually i think paul presents something different that easter is a catalyst for new life as followers of Christ. And so what then do we do with Easter? How do we live in light of this truth? What does it look like to live with an Easter state of mind as those who have been raised by Christ Jesus? As Paul begins this passage, he starts by saying, if then you have been raised with Christ. And this gives us the indication that everything is different for someone who's put their faith and hope in Jesus. This language is so much different than what we often use to describe salvation. He says, if you have in fact been raised with Christ, showing the deep level of transformation that comes in salvation, when those of us who were dead in our sins and trespasses are made alive in Christ Jesus, when we go from, as Paul tells us, once being children deserving the wrath of God to becoming sons and daughters of God, to those who are marked by salvation, to those who are now able to stand innocent in the presence of God, there is an incredible and impactful transformation that happens when we put our faith and our hope in Christ Jesus. But it doesn't stop with that conversion. Because this language here, if you have been raised with Christ, is a forward-moving sort of sentence. 
See, Easter wasn't the end of the grand story or the grand drama that God had put in place. But in fact, Easter was a new beginning, the first day of new creation for anyone who would put their faith and hope in Jesus. And that conversion, when we put our faith and hope in Christ, when he saves us from our sins, is not the destination but the catalyst of a life walking in the footsteps of Jesus as day after day we are being saved by Christ, as we are being formed and renewed and shaped by Jesus and fitted for eternity until the day when Paul tells us that we will be completed on the day of Christ Jesus and our salvation will be once and for all and in plain sight and view. And so we need to look at this and say, what does it mean to live this life? What does it mean to walk as someone who has been raised with Christ, who is on a trajectory toward eternity with Christ, who has been saved and will be kept by Jesus until that day when he completes it? What do we do in the in-between to have this Easter state of mind? The first thing Paul tells us is that we need to be a people who seek. We need to be seekers. And the reality is all of us are seekers by nature, but we seek a lot of different things. And clearly here, Paul is saying that we need to be people who seek after Christ. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. When we look at the Sermon on the Mount, Everything that Jesus says in that sermon is intensely countercultural. It was in the time in which Jesus delivered that message. It was in the time before Jesus delivered that message. It is in the time right now, some 2,000 years after Jesus delivered that message, it is still radically countercultural. And every passage and every sentence from start to finish just seems to move in opposition to everything the world tells us. And I think one of the most countercultural things that Jesus says, and maybe the most counterintuitive thing that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, is do not worry. Because worrying and anxiousness seems to be so deeply ingrained in who we are and what we do. But it's not just the fact that Jesus says do not worry, it's about what Jesus says not to worry about. He says don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. This isn't Jesus saying, don't worry about the things that don't matter. Don't worry about the things that are fairly superficial. Don't worry about the extra things in life. Jesus says, no, even the bare necessities of what it means to be alive, you don't have to worry about those things. But it's not just that Jesus is radically counterintuitive or countercultural telling us not to worry about these things. But he's ultimately telling us not to even seek after these things. That these things shouldn't be a point of any form of ambition in our lives. See, I already said we are seekers by nature. At the core of it, we're seeking how do I live, right? The core of humanity is I need to survive. That's the base instinct there. I need to have something to eat. I need to have shelter. I need to have something to wear. I need the bare necessities to be able to move forward in this life because the alternative of that is death. And so we start first and foremost by just seeking life. 
But as we grow and as we develop and as our world changes, we add more things that we seek after. I'm seeking after the right education. I'm seeking after the right job. I'm seeking after financial security and stability or maybe even financial excess. I'm seeking after marrying the perfect person and raising the perfect family. And we have all of these different ambitions. And as these ambitions grow in our lives, and as they become a deeper priority, whether they be good ambitions or bad ambitions, we're not even talking about the sinful ambitions at this point, but whatever it is that we look at as a priority, a need, and an ambition in our lives, these things, whether they be good, bad, or other, have a tendency to find themselves moving in and becoming the center point of our lives, becoming our driving ambitions, becoming the things that matter to us the most. And in so doing, we're able to take even very good things like what we're going to eat and what we're going to wear, these bare principles and ambitions of life, and we can make those things into idols, putting them at the center of our lives where Jesus is supposed to be. But Jesus warns us against that, right? Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where they'll rust and moths will destroy them, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Jesus reminds us that even these things that feel so deeply necessary and crucial, like food and clothing, are things that one day are just going to go away. It's just going to disappear. It's just going to rot. It's just going to fade. And if these things, no matter how good or important they may feel, are your primary ambition or your heart's deepest desire, your priority, and ultimately maybe even your idol, these things are going to let you down because one way, one day, they are all going to fade. And so Jesus says, no, instead, seek first the kingdom and its righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Don't worry about your life or what you're going to wear. Don't be focused on seeking what you're going to eat or who you're going to marry or the job that you're going to have. Seek first the kingdom and its righteousness, and all of these other things will fall into place because God knows you need to eat. God knows you need to get dressed. God knows the needs and the wants and the desires that you have and the things that are good for you and the things that are bad for you. And as you seek after him and him alone, all these things, he will work them out in their timing, but you keep your focus and your ambition on the kingdom and its righteousness. Seek first the kingdom. And then Paul echoes that language here in chapter three saying, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Jesus is. As children of the Easter story, as followers of Jesus, our driving ambition should always be to be where Jesus is. Our ultimate hope should be to follow in Jesus' steps and to be like Christ, to seek the things that are above, to seek the things that are important, and then trust Jesus with all the other aspects of our lives, to worry only about following after Christ and trusting him for everything else. Easter beckons us to confront our deepest desires and ask the question, what is it that drives me? 
What are my ambitions? What are the things that I am seeking out of this life? And to take inventory of those things and then to take every ambition that we have that looms over Jesus in our lives and lay it down before him and to pursue Christ above all else, to be the kind of people who seek after the things that are above where Jesus is. And so we need to seek. But he continues on. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. We need to be people who set our minds on Christ. But when we sing the songs that we've sang today, and when we hear the passage of scripture that we've read, and when we answer that question of if with absolutely yes, Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And even if we believe those things resolutely and wholeheartedly, we start to look and think, why would I want to be consumed with anything else? As we're here worshiping on Easter Sunday, it feels very unnatural to say that I would seek after anything else above Jesus, and yet it happens. But why? What is there that is more majestic and more mysterious and more awesome than the truth that the God of the universe loved us so much that he became one of us for us, that he offered himself as a perfect and holy sacrifice, that he raised his son from the dead so that we could share in that resurrection. There is clearly nothing more amazing than that. And so why would we allow our minds to be captivated by anything else? I think it's the same reason that I have to be very cautious about my content consumption. Because I can tell you a story based on reality. And this is a constant thing in my life, if you want to see how my brain works. Because I, like I like to watch a lot of videos on YouTube, especially about cycling. It's a thing I enjoy. And so I like to watch other people do it. And so I may start with just watching a mountain biking video, right? Somebody may be talking about a trail that I'm interested in riding or showing off a new bike or maybe just a ride along where you get to watch a trail from somebody else's perspective. I know it sounds boring, but it's the thing I like to do. But then you know how YouTube works, right? You finish one video and then it just kicks into another one. And so maybe the next video is an ultra cycling documentary, right? Somebody who's riding their bike for hundreds of miles and I'm just captivated into it. And it's so cool and so awesome. And it's so fun to watch and imagine doing that, but probably never going to do that. And then that video ends. And then the algorithm sometimes just tries to throw things at you that you might like, right? And so it's like, oh, you enjoyed that video about somebody cycling for a long distance. Maybe you'll like this video of someone running from a long distance. And I'm like, well, I don't run because <laughs> why would I do that? Because a bike just moves for me. But I do like watching people run. And I would like to watch this video of somebody running for a long distance, and so I do. And then maybe it's like, oh, well, you liked that one, so here's another video about somebody running. About the second video, I'm thinking, you know what? Like, running does look kind of cool. Maybe I'd like to do that. And then YouTube kind of knows because I think it has something in my brain. It's like, oh, we've got him now. And so then they'll immediately kick to another video that might be someone showing off some running equipment, right? Maybe talking about their favorite shoes and their favorite water bottle and their favorite running vest. And they talk about how amazing this running vest is and how it doesn't shake when you run. And I think that sounds really important and really necessary and how it's lightweight and how by the time you get to mile 25 or 30, you don't even 
even notice it's there. And I think, oh my goodness, by mile 25 or 30, I wouldn't want to know that the vest is there. And that sounds like a really good vest. And then this weird thing happens to where my hands just start moving. And I look down and in my hand is my phone and I'm on REI.com and I have found that vest and I've put it in my shopping cart and I'm about to hit purchase. And I think, what am I doing? I don't run. <laughs> but it's amazing how what we fill our minds with moves our hands and it moves our feet and the things that we allow to take up real estate in our brains has this incredibly innate ability to move us to action and so maybe we know how good jesus is and we know how wonderful easter is and how christ should be the center of everything that we do but then maybe I just start listening a little bit to the people around me who tell me, you know what? It's good that you love Jesus, but man, aren't you worried about retirement? Aren't you worried about your job? Aren't you worried about life? Aren't you worried about your family? Don't you want more out of these sort of things? You start listening to these voices that try to interject this mentality of, oh no, there's something else. Or we start to worry about some things because our circumstances become so overwhelming that all of a sudden all I can think about is the problem that I'm dealing with in my life and I don't really realize it yet, but I am being discipled by all the noise around me. I'm being discipled by my circumstances. I'm being discipled by my successes because something feels really good, right? And so we want to follow that and chase after that or something is really overwhelming and it's all I can think about time and time again. And the more I begin to think about these things, the less I'm thinking about Jesus and the more I'm starting to move in the direction that those things happen to be pulling me in because I've set my mind on something other than Christ. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now listen to what he says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When Paul says to not be conformed by the world, he says the way that we choose to do this, or not that we choose to, but that God has designed us to do this, is by the renewing of our minds. By day after day after day, filling our minds with the resurrection. Filling our minds with the gospel filling our minds with Jesus, setting our mind not on the things that are on the earth, but on the things that are above right there where Jesus is, knowing that good things will happen and bad things will happen, knowing that there will be things all around us trying to pull us in a variety of different directions, but constantly, day after day, centering our minds on the good news of the gospel so that no matter what information may be trying to come in and out of our minds, our minds and our hearts and our focus is set on Jesus so that there is no wavering. 
Easter calls us to remember and to daily set our minds on the gospel, to proclaim the resurrection to ourselves and to those around us daily. So no matter what may come, we will be exclusively seeking the things that are above where Jesus is because we will be constantly aware that Jesus is better. We have to set our minds on Christ so that we can seek after Jesus. And then Paul gives us the because here, saying, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And there is an implicit commandment here that not only do we set our minds on Christ, not only do we seek Jesus above all else, but we are called to live like we have died and live again. Verse three is an absolute miracle. He says, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Easter Sunday is an undeniable miracle. If we claim to believe that Jesus died, that he truly breathed his last, was dead and buried in a tomb for three days and then rose again, that is undeniably a miracle. But not only that, every single salvation from the very first person who put their faith in the resurrected Christ until the day, like today, when there are people all over the world walking with Jesus for the first time, every single salvation is a miracle. I'm a miracle. If you've put your faith and your hope in Jesus, you are a miracle. The Bible says that we are dead in our sins and trespasses, but God makes us alive through Christ Jesus, that we experience spiritual resurrection when we put our hope and faith in him. But the reality too often is that as Christians, we don't often live like we believe that we're miracles. If you've ever been around someone that's had a near-death experience or a scare where they felt like they were going to die, or maybe you felt that same way, very rarely, almost never, do those people come away unchanged. When someone is that close to experiencing death, you find them coming out on the other side in a whole new way of thinking. So maybe it was some choices that were leading to that near-death experience, right? And so maybe that means that they're changing some habits radically. Maybe they're changing the way they eat or the way that they live to make themselves more healthy in a very radical way. Or maybe they had lived life very conservatively and that near-death experience has inspired them to say, you know what, I'm going to live my life to the fullest. And all of a sudden this person who was very reserved and conservative is now going out and trying crazy things or just living with a much more aggressive attitude but there is some kind of change that comes from that. But the Bible tells us that as Christians, we weren't just spiritually sick. We didn't have a near-death experience, that we were spiritually dead. And now you have been made alive in Christ Jesus. And it is impossible to really set our minds on this and to really believe this and not be moved by this. See, Easter is kinetic. The gospel 
is kinetic. It's not just an ideology. It's not just a change of identity, but it is literally a resurrection where we go from being dead and not able to do anything that pleases or glorifies God to being resurrected by the power of Jesus. And now we can be who we were meant to be in Christ. We can live the way that Christ has meant us to live. Paul says that when it comes to his faith, that he is running a race, that he is moving forward, that he is active in everything that he does because he knows what it's like like to be dead and now he knows what it's like to be alive and he is going to take absolute advantage of the new life that Christ has given him by giving everything he has for the cause of the gospel. As Christians, we should be alive. We should, through our lives, put on display the miracle of salvation through passionate worship. As we sing, as we pray, as we confess, we need to do that as people who know there was a point in my life where I couldn't do this and it be of any meaning at all because my sin was so great. And now when I sing a song, when I pray a prayer, when I offer up my confession, it goes directly into the presence of a just and holy God. And Revelation says that those prayers are like perfume to him, that he loves those prayers that he loves our worship, that he meets us where we are, and that should be something that invigorates us every time we come together for worship. We should put on display the miracle of salvation through tireless gospel work. The good news about being a Christian is that we never have to pour from an empty cup because our cup just overflows and overflows and overflows. There is grace and more grace and more grace and more grace. And Paul, even when he was so just overwhelmed by a struggle in his life, when he came to God and asked for it to be taken away, God says, no, you've got my grace. And Paul kept going. And that's who we're called to be, people who tirelessly work for the gospel by proclaiming the good news of Jesus, by being evangelists and doing the work of evangelists, telling everyone that we can about our Savior who died and rose again, to give our lives in service of the kingdom, praying that through our work that we would see the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, to be willing to lay down our rights and our privileges and our pride for one another, to be able to share what we have together as any one of us has needs. We need to be able to step into that gap because Christ has made us new and to love our brothers and sisters in Christ as Christ has loved us. But not only that, but then to take that work together out into the world around us and to meet the needs of the broken, to care for the widows and the orphans and the oppressed, and to reach out with love and mercy, being the hands and feet of Jesus for those around us, and sharing his love with those who need it. Jesus has called us from death to life, and we cannot live like we're still buried. The Easter call is to live, as Paul said, that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. To run the race without growing tired or weary. To constantly strive to excel still more in service to the kingdom until the day when we either breathe our last or Christ returns to make all things right or all things new. We need to live like we have died and live again. This paragraph closes by Paul saying, 
when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And that's where Paul does paint the picture of the finish line for the believer. Because again, Easter isn't the end of the story, but the beginning of the story for the Christian. And this passage here in verse 4, this is our ultimate hope. This is our ultimate desire, that we're not just changed in the here and now, that we're not just striving for the best that we can get here on earth, or that we're not just trying to be better people until the day that we die, but that we're not just changed in the here and now, but that one day we will be with Jesus. We'll no longer have to seek the things that are above because we will be with Christ. We'll no longer have to fight to set our minds on Jesus because we will get to see him in the fullness of his glory for all of eternity. And Easter is a promise that God is not finished with us yet. That there will be a day when you get to lay down your work and your labor and enter into his rest. There will be a day when all of the things that break your heart all of the things that cause you pain and worry and anxiety will pass away and Jesus will wipe away your tears and you will enter into that perfect joy. There will be a day when all the things that we hope for and long for will be made sight and we'll know it in the most full and perfect way possible. And so the calling of Easter Sunday is to hold fast to the truth of the resurrection, to seek the things that are above, and to do that by setting your mind on Christ Jesus. And as you seek after the things that are of Christ, live like you have died and live again, all the while hoping and praying for the day that Christ, who is our life, will appear and we will be with him in glory. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that Easter is so much more than just a day on the calendar. But an ever-present unwavering reality for each and every moment of our lives. God, we thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. But that that wasn't the end of the story. We thank you that three days later that Jesus rose from the dead, but that that wasn't the end of the story. We thank you that every man and woman and child who puts their faith and their hope in Jesus will be saved and will not perish, but have everlasting life. And we thank you that that's not the end of the story. Because your story for your people never ends. So God, as we wait for that day when Christ appears in glory when we will appear with him with our Savior once and for all we pray that in the in-between 
that you would help us to live with an Easter state of mind. That you would help us to not forget even for a moment the ever-present beauty of the resurrection. That we would set our minds constantly, that you would renew our minds daily through the gospel. That we would be seekers seeking first the kingdom and its righteousness, seeking the things that are above where Jesus is. And that as we seek, our lives would be a testimony to your grace. That we would be people who live like we have been made new and made alive, no longer submitting to the yoke of slavery of sin, but passionately pursuing holiness and righteousness, being a people who worship fully and passionately. And serving our Savior through sharing the good news of the gospel and loving our neighbors as ourselves. So God, through your spirit, we pray that you stir up the good news of resurrection in our hearts this morning and every other morning. And we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.